that was like my saving thing to have graphics because when I was at the conservatory in Montreal, all of my colleagues were like really interested in algorithmic music and like spectral music. And I was like, I don't get it, guys. Like, it's really interesting. But like for me, when I go composing, I'm just like, this is actually really boring. Like if I have to map everything and do numbers, I'm just like, this is not doing anything for me. So I started like trying to do forms with like drawings. I was just like, oh, this makes more sense and do sounds with drawings and then translate those sounds into like traditional notation, which is kind of what I still do. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that since forever, actually. The way that I think about this is it's just another skill. I don't think mm -hmm. of it as talking. I just think of it as like acquiring another skill. And it's just, yeah. and, and I enjoy learning something new. Mm -hmm. And when I first started doing this, like, especially when it would just be me and the camera, it was terrible. Like, yeah. like talking into the lens. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm talking straight into the lens like this, it's like frightening. But well, since I'm talking not, to you. It's not a person, it's a camera. It's like yeah. this weird connection that you have with the equipment. Yeah. yeah. But now I can just talk into the camera, it's no problem. But yeah, yeah, before, yeah. I would have to have a script. Like, I would read like a line. Oh, really? I, I did like tutorial. Okay. I do tutorials too. Like, I have a microtone. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a microtone tutorial about how to use piano tech okay you know? and uh the guy basically had a, i think i had a yeah i had a, a few lines of it as a script so i would read like a line and then you know stop talking and then read another line and then and edit cut it all together <laughs> like it was a tutorial yeah, yeah. So yeah I would, well, like, I would, that doesn't yeah. bother me as much then having like a natural talk is like yeah. you know that's a skill you definitely have to like sharpen yeah i mean but sure. I, I did this this is like my 30 second 33rd yeah and then you get better at it yeah it's yeah. that's very it's still very early like joe rogan has like 2000 of these you know well that's <laughs> <laughs> well, like crazy you can't compare like those two things though you know well you you i mean you sort of can in a way because you can say well that guy has so much experience you can't expect yourself to yeah to be like that mm -hmm. so that's why that's why i say that because you know you hear someone like that speak you're like wow he's so natural well that happened with time and practice. Yeah, obviously. So if you don't practice it, you can't expect yourself to be like that. Mm -hmm. But I think people think that they could be like that. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. When you watch a basketball game, everyone knows you, we can't be like that. Why do we know that? But then when you hear someone on TV talk, you think, oh, anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. um, or someone that can act. Yeah. You know, oh, anybody can do that. You just have this run around and say a few lines, but actually... We, have you tried? Like, acting? have you tried? Like, I mean, the people say something. It's the same people say, like, I could have written a better word. I'm just like, have you tried it then? Like, if you want to do it this way. Yeah. You know, like, if you think this is not successful, just try it and you'll see how hard, how hard it is. It is, yeah. it is really hard to do. Yeah, I acted in a, in a short film. I was, I wrote the music to it too, it was my, it was my friend, and, uh, but he just told me this, he just, I was like a caretaker that was like okay. on guard like it was like this movie about a uh these old people in an elderly home and they're trying to break out and i was like this nurse that uh was standing guard at the door like a like a prison guard you know and i just stood there and looked around you know and that was my yeah, that was my acting <laughs> like three seconds <laughs> but no lines or anything no lines just you physically being there yeah but i mean there were directions you got to look at the, oh no don't look like that look like this you know oh it's too much yeah. eyebrow too because yeah. you don't know how to work with the camera and the lighting. Like, you yeah. don't know any of those things, right? Like, if you don't have any experience, you're just going to do it. And then with it, like, maybe it's not fitting yeah. the actual movie. So. I mean, that's the same thing with composing, because you, you have 
you're sitting there composing, and especially if you're going to a concert, and I think this is especially true when you're at a concert where you're the only piece that's new, yeah. and you're on a program with Tchaikovsky or whatever, and the people there, they're here, they're there to hear the Tchaikovsky, for example, right? They're not there to hear your piece necessarily. Um, but then they hear your piece and they're like, oh, you know, like, what is just a bunch of noise or whatever? Like, what, what, I could have done something like that. Or, and mm-hmm. it's, such, it's such a common thing um, that I hear, you know, from people. Like, I had one guy tell me after I think my clarinet concerto was premiered, he, looked, he, he actually went straight up to me and said, Now, quick pit stop to let you know that I do offer one-on-one consultations and lessons in regards to anything composition related. This can range for helping you put together your portfolio for any composition degree that you're applying to, or you might want to improve your creative chops as a composer from week to week or month to month, or you might want to get a better handle of the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a composer. How do you sell your sheet music? How do you negotiate commission rates? How do you apply to contests? How do you apply to grants? How do you do anything as a composer, let alone just writing the music? So if this is you, you can contact me using the link down in the description below. That was completely awful. Like, why, why would you do this to us? I thought he was joking. <laughs> I thought he was joking, but he actually was serious. Was he expecting an answer from you or was just like ranting at you? I was shocked because first I... Like, what do you want to say after that? Like, you know that person that's like made their mind and, you know, it's just... It's, it, for me, it's really weird. I mean, what would you do if someone came up? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, this this act, this sucks, or... Not really, straight, but yeah. my music has been in context where it's, like, only new music, so, like, their room is a bit more indulgent and do things that are not, you know, conventional. So I don't, like, an orchestra setup is usually a bit more conservative, so I could see people being very, like, triggered by it in a way that they're not expecting it and not knowing what to do with it and just like the only way to get processes is just like going to the composer and playing it all you while it's like you know you don't have to like yeah. everything you don't have to like appreciate everything but like don't go to the person create that thing so yell at it it's like just just forget about it i don't know it's it, for me it's weird i mean you know? it's very rare i mean someone comes up to you and says they don't like the piece i mean usually if they don't like it they just you know forget about you yeah they exactly. they're not going to look further into you and if they like you they'll look further into yeah. you have a new fan, you know, I and mean, that's yeah, the yeah, way it yeah. should be, but I think it's just interesting to hear negative comments, but the actual thing, and, and I'm learning this more with the YouTube channel too, when people have negative comments about my stuff, which, you know, I get a, a, a lot, you know, mm-hmm. which is fine, they don't back it up with the reason why, but when I get positive comments, oftentimes I get a positive comment, and then a reason why they liked it, mm-hmm. so it's interesting to me that why wouldn't a negative response elicit the same or similar explanation of why they didn't like it? Mm. So that's just something that I... And, and I mean, that's that's what critical peer-to-peer... I mean, it's peer-to-peer review in a way. Yeah, it is. When you have someone saying, oh, I don't like this because this this that's like basically like an academic paper. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder why that kind of mindset isn't... I guess it has to do with like a level of appreciation of the things. Like if you really like something, you want to share why. Well, if you dislike something, it's just like you want to be done with it. So like I never see someone really wanting to go into the detail of it. That would be weird. Like if you made a list of things you actually didn't like, um, because like the work is not going to change after that. So you know, 
At least, they, well, at least they would. I mean, in my view, at least they have. They're listening to the piece critically.、Mm. You know, and that to me, if you like it or don't like it, almost doesn't matter. At least you were like paying attention <laughs> and have your own opinion about it.、Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's that's just my thoughts on it and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, we didn't. I didn't even really introduce you at all, but we just went right into it, which is the way I like to do things. This is Corey Rose Suma. I pronounced the last name correct. Suma, yeah. Suma, okay. Yeah, yeah. And、um, another colleague from Colombia, which is really great. I'm trying to get everybody in, but you know, kind of mix it up. Not、mm-hmm. just have Colombia people, but you know, everybody at Colombia writes such ridiculously interesting music,、mm-hmm. very varied stuff. That I mean, it makes sense to to bring you all, <laughs> bring all of you guys in.、Um, but I want to introduce. Our first piece here from Corey called "Like a Frog on the Road to It" from 2023. We're just going to play a couple minutes of it,、um, the part right at the beginning, actually. So let's、okay. let's hear that. Actually, if, for those that have been following the show, and if you haven't, you know, look back at some of the previous episodes. But we had Ekmelis, Ekmelis, and every time I've said it on the show, I've messed it up. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll ever say it right. But、uh, we've had quite a couple, quite a few pieces on the show by this group, and every one of them has been so varied and, and different and amazing to hear.、Mm-hmm. And this is no exception, I think. And. The, the excerpt that we just heard is the very beginning, the first two minutes. Sometimes I play a little bit further in, but I felt like with this piece, it made actually a lot of materials occur right at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, and if you look at the score, which everybody just did <laughs> on the、mm-hmm. on the listen,、um, there are things in it that I thought were interesting.、It、kind of reminded me of like when you get like、um, you know like an old score, like a Tchaikovsky, Beethoven, whatever. 
and says espressivo or dolce or whatever below mm-hmm. cantabile or whatever have you under the music to describe how to do it you don't do that you say you know uh, like small shells vibrating through the sea uh, thin layers of wind alongside the rustling of trees and this is my favorite like a small child pushing stones and slowly spreading them over time yeah, yeah. and I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. to see such a description I mean you almost don't even need to have it there but having it there adds another dimension yeah. to the performance yeah. of it so anyways just my very long-winded <laughs> introduction <laughs> to what I thought was uh, interesting especially about this first page but there's there's a lot to talk about so I guess from you it would be be great to just hear you know how like how do you even like assemble all these different ideas it's just like a, for me as a composer I'm kind of the opposite I, I like to have one idea and kind of stick with it mm-hmm. which I'm trying to break out of it's kind of my weaknesses I feel like oh but, really is that what yeah. you're exploring right now like to Probably not. Still, but <laughs> okay. it's, it's just it's in the back there. of your head. Yeah, maybe like, you should. Yeah, yeah. yeah I this, mean, I try to have more like connection in my music. I feel like my music is really spread out and very chaotic, which is really different from like my own personality in a way. Because I'm a very like quiet person. I like things to be very organized in my life, but in my music, it feels like it's the only space that I can just be everywhere all the time and just like do whatever I want so I don't know I I like having maybe one shape and then inside of that shape having a lot that you can still sense where you're going through that shape um, but I since I started composing it's always been like small sound object that you can spread the way you want so you don't have to have any connection between them but you have to think about the whole expressiveness of, you know, the whole piece. So when you come up with each of these little ideas, yeah. like there's these things where you have, you know, breath sounds, like, mm-hmm. and then even you vary that, you go, you know, throughout, and then you have things where you're doing things with IPA in the mouth, and then things where you're, like, moving around the microphone. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you when you have those separate, are those, like, in your head completely separate ideas, or did you start from one specific sound and then thought, okay, I like that sound, is there something that's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of that? Or is there something, what's like on the same plane? Like how, how do you even start when you have so many different, like for me looking at and hearing the piece, it's like, wow, I don't even know where she started writing this mm, piece. Like what's, what was the first like, was object? The first sound? If that makes sense. Yeah, or is there a first yeah. sound? Because it all think, kind of comes yeah. That's actually a good question. <laughs> I don't think there's like a first sound really I think it's more about the feeling of sound so I know how much energy I want from it I think it's I yeah I think I, I think more about energy than anything else um, but usually the way I work is I'll have like one idea because I think it's really hard to start with like 15 ideas and trying to like work with them so I'll have one idea and then I'll see what else can I do with it so I'll do like 20 variations of them and then I'll be like oh, this one is actually the same I did three days before, so if it comes back again, that must be really important to me. So then I mm. use those ideas that keeps coming back naturally to me that I didn't forget. Because in the process, I forget a lot of things. Like, I would write stuff, and I'm just like, I don't know what I meant like yesterday <laughs> about it. But if an idea from 10 days ago is still resonating, I know it's the right one, basically. Is it something that kind of sticks in your head throughout the 10 days, for example? Or is it like something you come up with on day one and then on day 10? 
you see it again or like, oh, I like that? It depends. Sometimes it takes time, right? Like maybe on the fifth day, I'll be like, oh, this is what I was trying to mm. get at. This is a totally new idea, but I needed to do that whole pathway to be able to arrive at that idea. Right, because sometimes yeah. when you see something, mm-hmm. you kind of take it for granted maybe or you're not sure. Uh, and also, there's some. I think, I think uh, composers in general have this syndrome where they don't trust the first idea. Oh, I think it's a mistake. Always trust the first idea. Yeah. There's a reason why you have that idea. Like, I, yeah. all my pieces, it's always the first idea, and I just, like, work through it. Maybe the first version of it's not going to be good. Yeah. But the first idea is always for me. So the, the one. so the idea is a separate concept than the, the, the version of the idea. So, like, the idea in general, but the notes itself doesn't have to be those exact notes, but the overall shape of it is what's going to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like for you, what was that idea in this piece? So the first idea. I mean, I I knew for this piece I wanted to do something different than what I did before, which I feel like if you listen to other stuff that I did, this is a really different piece. Um, but I think the main idea was like summer song and trying to do something with it and having a lot of like natural images to be able to be there so a lot of those sounds that we actually see are kind of like thinking about nature and trying to translate that so there's like a cicada sound even rocks for me is like a way to think about mm-hmm. nature sounds so i think it's more about what i was perceiving when i was like doing walks around different parks in different part of the world and trying to see what i could do with it but i feel like for it's a bit hard to say what was the first idea Really, it's kind of like a collection of different things with this piece. I feel like other piece I could tell you exactly. But it sounds which, like one idea to me. Yeah, you say yeah. it's not a, a bunch of ideas. You, sound, it's, you say it's not a bunch of ideas, but it sounds like one overall mm-hmm. idea. You know, it's almost like you're doing a Lemaire sort of piece, but yeah. with in your own like. I mean, it's very far from that, but like the whole idea that the, the natural world and this kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a concept that a lot of composers have. You know, thought about and written about over the mm-hmm. over the centuries, and it's just interesting to hear a new version of it with electronics and with voices, mm-hmm. uh, doing all these kind of different sounds, but they all represent that one idea. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, I think I think the takeaway, at least for me, is that yes, there's a whole bunch of different sounds in it, but as a composer looking at it not to be like overwhelmed so much because there was a point where you came up with one introductory idea yeah. or not idea, I don't want to call it object, like a okay. sound object and then you kind of built around it mm-hmm. um, there's this point later on, if you listen to the whole piece uh, you'll you'll hear it, but I, I can't include everything <laughs> so <laughs> really much that goes on also. this is like a 20 minute piece yeah, yeah. Exactly. and only for the first two minutes it's, it's kind of a shame, I would love to put the whole thing but um, um, Hopefully, uh, at some point in the description below, I'll have a link to the, to the whole piece. Uh, I don't know if it will be up when people hear it now. It's probably going to be up like, in two days. Oh, okay. Today, so, so when you probably... Great, yeah. So you can hear the whole thing. Sure. But there's, there's this moment, and I thought about including this actually as the excerpt, but then I thought, you know, it's kind of taken out of context if I put it as the representation of your piece. I didn't think it made sense. But the, there's a few moments, I think three moments in the whole piece where one of the singers starts to uh, 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 like have text, yeah. saying text mm-hmm. about their ancestry yeah. and all this kind of stuff. 
and then you have some of this electronic stuff going in the background. It's very sparse. Mm-hmm. It's like the complete opposite of this opening, which is very chaotic, like going through Central yeah. Park or something. Yeah. So I was wondering, like, how... So like, as I was listening to this, actually, like, going through it, I thought, oh, it, 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 it for whatever reason, it matches really well with what came before, but I can't figure out why it does. Because it, on the surface, it's like a completely different thing than this opening material. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, it works really well throughout the span of the piece. So I guess my question is like, why? Uh, why does it work? That's a good <laughs> <And> question. Why? <laughs> why contrast works actually? I think for me, I mean, this piece is all about identity, and I really wanted to look at like my own identity through the piece, but it's really hard to do, especially when you have singers, because they are the only person, so you're asking them to speak a view through them. It's like this weird relationship, so I was trying to find a way where they could actually have part of, you know, themselves in the piece without me having to, like, directly say, like, I would like this kind of words to be here or there, or just share my story, which I didn't feel like was right. Um, but I feel like this idea of contrast and like not having two things that matches or trying to blend them is really part of like the way I personally experience the world. And it has to do with like being a biracial kid and being like people being like, oh yeah, they're too, you know, white or too black. And I'm just like, well, I'm both at the same time and people can't really compute that. They're like, well, no, you have to make a choice. I'm like, I don't have to make a choice. It's like two contrasting things just existing together. So I feel like uh, for me, having two different um, spaces that do not need to be layered off comes really powerfully in what I want to do because it kind of creates movement also. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense. It's a very difficult thing to express with words because I'm just used to it when I like no, it makes sense. it makes sense I mean I deal with the same thing in my yeah, stuff too yeah. with the Arab uh, for me it's the Arab part of me and then the American part mm-hmm. of me and actually it makes a lot of sense that she would bring that in formally I never really thought about doing mm-hmm. it formally but it's not like you took you know the, the two races and, and those were the two things yeah. in the piece mm-hmm. you just made it into this A and B thing, mm-hmm. like almost like a, you know, you're doing a binary form. In, I love in, binary in history, forms. I what, think at the greatest. I love what, it. Now that I think about it, the piece isn't binary form. I really way. like it. I think it's really strong. I know like A B A prime is really strong too when I listen to mm-hmm. pieces like that. But I feel like A B is actually really strong too. It's something that yeah. I love to explore for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed yeah. that now. And that will, I've actually noticed it as we're talking actually. And then you explaining this mm-hmm. way of thinking. At, now that I've, because I heard the piece this morning. It, now it makes sense that why it works so well. Actually, you know what? Let's let's hear this part because it, okay. it doesn't make sense to talk about it and not give it to you. So let's hear this little two-minute excerpt of this uh, little bit that we're talking about. My name is Kakariu Isao Mashadu Taniguchi. My given name, Kakariu, is a family name representing my maternal grandmother's side of the family. José Gregorio, Joaquín Gregorio, María Gregorio, and the like, all spanning several generations in the Altarish parish of Ilha Terceira, or 
Terceira Island in the autonomous Portuguese archipelago, Zasorge. My grandmother, Maria, frequently tells the story of our family name, now one of her regular Alzheimer's memory loops. The name Machado, my grandfather's family name, is represented in my mother's maiden name, at least as the U.S. government assigned it. Her name, Maria Bernadette Gonçalves Vieira Machado, was anglicized and truncated at immigration to Bernadette Gonçalves Machado, functionally eliminating my grandfather's mother's name and their family nickname, Vieira. Since I grew up in the U.S., my given name was always bastardized to make other people comfortable. Most frequently and egregiously, as Greg, I retained the name people had forced upon me until I had the autonomy to advocate for the use of my full name. Yeah, no, I'm glad that we heard that because it's, it, it just doesn't really make sense uh, after hearing that first two minutes and then hearing us talk about it mm-hmm. and then not getting to hear that two minutes. So I suggest listening to the whole thing because uh, it's really it really it, like interesting to hear it go through because I'm not really used to hearing longer pieces, you know, 20-minute pieces, especially with voices. Mm-hmm. Most like choral works, I would say, are like in the three, four-minute range. But I think that, I mean, this ensemble is just different. They do very different kind yeah, of repertoire. Yeah, they're amazing. They did, this concert, they did five different things, and they were incredible through all of them. So mm-hmm. they really understand music really quickly. Um, and this is the same show where Anna Louise Walton's No, that's a, a different one. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, it's like a recent concert that they did. They did do uh, Josh, Joshua Massel, mm-hmm. piece that was actually premiered in... 2021 CC season, which is the season that Anna piece was there, and Artune also piece. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and most of those that we had on the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I noticed that a lot of you guys have been showing the the book. Yeah, now I'm thinking, oh man, am I missing out over here? You know, I'm not writing a piece. (laughs) For Hank Mellis. It's actually really, I mean, it's really creative about what's going on. And, and I mean, in truth, a lot of the different techniques that you guys are using, they're not like new techniques or anything, but the way that you guys make it so personal. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the voice, I think, that also makes writing for the voice extremely, extremely personal. Because you don't know how it's going to sound with different performers. You know, mm-hmm. the day of, you don't know how it's going to sound also, just because it's their bodies are just like in front of an audience. It's a really intimate experience, I think. Um, to work with singers for sure yeah and do you have so when you're working with these singers do you have any like you have all these different sounds I mean how how, how much collaboration is there is there any collaboration or are you are you doing these sounds yourself um, I mean I had a workshop with them before I mean I love to do workshop with performers before I write the piece just because I get to know <clears throat> them and I get to know where they're like more comfortable working because um, some some people have more like a conservatory training, so you know they won't be 
up to certain thing of like doing experimental music and I feel like you kind of have to respect that at a certain point and other people are going to be super open to everything so that changes your relationship to the piece I think um, so we rehearse a lot because I'm not a vocalist for me it's really hard to know how to make sounds like I have an idea but I'm just like I can't physically do it and they're really good at like trying different variation and explaining how it actually works with the voice so that was really useful and then recording it also to have like a little snapshot of everything and then listening back with voices yeah I mean I had I have two pieces I would say that use voices like in a more experimental way like not in a choral sort mm. of way that you would typically think like that would be played at a high school or something. I have a couple pieces like that, which are just, you know, they're, if you heard them, they don't sound anything like me. But um, there was a piece for soprano, clarinet, and harp, which I think is a decent piece. It got played um, at Tanglewood last summer. Okay. But it was a piece from a long time ago, from 2014. But Don Upshaw heard it, and she wanted to program it. Uh, at Tanglewood, which, actually was a, really cool. which was a big surprise to me. I said, wow, that's unbelievable. I never even thought about this piece since mm. then. So I heard it then, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting to hear this piece again, because I, I just don't really write for voices. It was 2014 also. Yeah, it was an old piece, but it still has like remnants of what I do now. Yeah. But I just thought it was really interesting that she had, took an interest in the piece, even mm. when, I, when I've long forgot about it. But uh, it hasn't happened yet where... A scenario uh, made sense for me to pursue voices again. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, one day I will, but it's not something that I think about all the time. Like right now, I'm like really focused on writing for the orchestra because that's yeah. just like when you're in that mindset, it's hard to get out of it because that world is so insular in a way. There's like, there's not really that many composers that write regularly for orchestra. And I feel like once you're sort of in that, space where you're like a, like given permission to write for yeah. the orchestra it's hard to like let go of that because i feel like once you get into like opera or things like that it's almost like another world it is yeah that you're going into so i don't know if somebody asked me like oh i have a commission for you and you know it's for a piece for you know singer and string quartet or whatever mm -hmm. like i wouldn't say no if it made sense with my schedule but yeah. it hasn't happened so i'm not gonna I'm not going to like knock on people's door and pursue it if it's okay. if it's going to be that difficult, if that makes sense. To have the commission, you mean? Or yeah, just I just don't like friction. I don't like begging. I also don't like begging. You like know? I, <laughs> unless I, mean, I have something I really want to do and I know people are going to be willing to work with me, I'm just like, you know, it's not, it's going to feel like you push against the door all the time. So it's not worth it to really like do it. Yeah, I mean, have you had experience like, Let's say that, so I know with these, these couple of projects that I have on the docket, the Melis project and the Hypercube project, which we'll talk about, you know, those were things I think you wrote them for the Columbia Composers uh, showcase. Just the Hypercube just, one. Just the Hypercube one. And then Ekmelis was actually a commission. Oh, that was a commission? Yeah, that was a commission. Okay, great. Yeah. So with that, for example, let's talk about that then. Like, how did that come about? Did you have to ask them or did they ask no, you? No, they or? just asked me. So okay. Jeff just emailed me. Uh, and it was like, do you want to write a piece for Ekmelis? I was like, yeah, I want to write a piece yeah. for Ekmelis. Not really thinking about it. And I was like, oh, voices. I never did anything with voices. Really? It took me, this piece took me almost two years actually to compose, Jesus which is Christ. the longest. But it's 20 I, minutes long. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a long piece. Yeah. And yeah. I needed like three extra months because the first draft I did was really different from the last draft. 
and I got like really good advice from uh, Marcos, Marcos Balter, who's like a, a new faculty at Columbia. It was like, you know, your piece is interesting, but I feel like the five first minute could be like 30 minutes. And I was like, you know, right, I, I can try doing that. And the whole five minutes just turned out to be the whole piece that that's, you're hearing right now. I mean, that's like encouraging if someone tells yeah. you your first five minutes could be longer. Yeah. It's usually better mm -hmm. than when they say, oh, the first five minutes is too long. Then yeah, you got to come yeah. up with more stuff to fill up the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I find the same thing that if someone asks me to write a piece, like um, it, like the less friction there is, the more valued I, I, the more valued I feel mm -hmm. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it makes me want to write a better piece if I know the other party is interested in working with me. I mean, you get, I can kind of sense now when it's just like they want a piece just to have a piece or they really want to work with me. Like just in an email, I can kind of feel it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because people change their tones when they want to work with you and just like have something and they're interested in your music. Like I, I know it now because sometimes people ask you for commission, but they just want to have, you know. For me, in my case, like a black woman composer on the podium, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I really want to work with... How can you tell? How can you tell? Um, I mean, because for me, at least, I... Yeah. It's not as obvious to me because, you know, I'm like a... You know, I mean, I'm Arab-American, but to be, I mean, I'm very light-skinned and, you know, I, mm. I don't really like flaunt that I... This or that and th yeah. whatever, you know. I, for me, it doesn't really, I don't really feel that, uh, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. But, like, for you, how do you, how can you tell? How can you tell I the mean, difference? I mean, it has to do with, like, people being, like, there is a specific style we're looking at. Because I'm very versatile, I think, in my music. So there are pieces that are more accessible in hearing. I don't really know what that means. But, like, they're maybe a bit less experimental in my repertoire compared to other pieces. So it'd be like, we want a piece that's like going that direction. And I'm just like, you know, you shouldn't ask me for like stylistic preference. If you want to like commission me, you should trust me that I'm, I'm going to be doing something interesting regardless of like which direction I want to go. Um, also, if you say like, I want to have like a female composer, I'm just like, don't. <laughs> so, oh, they would say that in the yes. email? Is this, like, is this in an email or is this like, yeah. oh, like It's usually an email, or, right? Yeah, like yeah. I never like had a phone oh, call or anything like that. But like if you say like, I would love to commission a female composer, I'm just like, okay. Like you start a bit weirdly in your like priorities. I, I get it's important to like commission women composers like I don't have a problem with it it's just like it feels sometimes it's like the only reason why you want to like look at a commission with my music and usually those instrumentation are like weird instrumentation they're like five minutes and I'm just like not getting paid also so I'm not doing those anyway but you can kind of see in the tone of the emails what people actually want to have and sometimes you know I even if I know it I'm just like you know I still want to do a piece for this ensemble or whatever and I don't you know at least they're coming through me to a different channel than if like they didn't even look at my music because they weren't interested in like programming a woman composer maybe it's gonna change I would I would hope people to be honest, just I didn't, I didn't think it was that blatant you know and that's yeah, just my ignorance well that's my also. experience I maybe yeah. some people it's totally different but I did receive some you know asking that was just like I can you know <laughs> see that it's not honest really yeah um yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I haven't had a situation where somebody asked me blatantly, oh, we need to hear, we need to feel like 
it's a it's a Middle Eastern inspired piece or whatnot. They mm. never asked me. I mean, mm. I would just do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the other whether thing. they wanted, I would not. just do it. You know, because that's just what I'm interested in. But yeah. I so maybe maybe I kind of, in a strange way, like didn't have to say anything. You know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I do sometimes feel like they want it a little bit more accessible, whatever that means mm-hmm. um, within that language, which I cannot do because to me it starts getting into this gimmicky land which i really don't like yeah well don't you feel like you have to compromise when you write for orchestrado because it's just a totally different universe compared mm. to like or you feel like you're still i just think it's a different it? challenge yeah okay i think of it as a big sound mass and if i'm being very technical with the piece and you're in a big concert hall to be honest with you sometimes the getting too technical with the music actually uh, doesn't serve the music. Mm. So to find a simpler a way to do things is actually the right way, I think. Because yeah. you, you can okay. make it as complicated as you want, but then when you go to sit there and engrave the piece, for example, you, I actually go back and think, okay, this is the, I like the sound of this. Is there a way to make it simpler and still get the same affect? So that becomes a different challenge. So maybe, on, maybe my orchestral scores on the surface, they look simpler than the chamber music. But when you hear, uh, my hope is when you hear the chamber music and you hear the orchestra music back to back, that you know they're by the same person mm. that didn't try to dumb down his language for the orchestra. So at least that's what's going on in my mind. I don't know if that's I mean, you what have reality to compromise is, a bit because it's a lot of people on stage anyway. So you can't, yeah. I mean, if you wanted everyone to be very individual, you could try, but it's, you know, it's just, yeah. a, I feel like even with six people working with like Eggmelis, I still have to like give direction for each of them sometimes I'm just like if I have like 30 people like that's a lot of people to actually di- give direction and it's very exhausting on both sides you know like yeah I mean I'm I'm, I'm doing that now in this piece every desk and this the, is uh, this sounds really exhausting yes 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 it's very exciting but yeah. like uh I'll give you an example like I'll probably make a video about this too um at, at some point in this process because I got to write this whole piece in like a month but I have this, uh, I'm working on this section where it's like, kind of like, actually, when I saw your score, uh, the Ekmela score, it reminded me what I was doing, because you have these uh, breath, uh, this breath notation, maybe yeah. I'll put it on the screen now, because very, it's like literally exactly what I did, you had this, uh, you had the up arrow, uh, the up bow, I should say up arrow, I don't know what the hell I'm saying, the up arrow, and then the, the, the down uh, I said bow. up arrow again, the, the up bow, and then the down bow, mm-hmm. the up bow is the uh, breath in, and the down bow is the breath out. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing in um, in a piece before, and I'm gonna do it again actually in the orchestra piece, uh, but with the um, with the uh, the uh, the string instruments. So like the up, oh I see the up uh, bow would be um, playing um, on the bridge, and then the down bow would be playing on yeah, the, uh, that makes the sense. body. And I I did it once uh, in a piece, and it was I thought it was great. So. Now I'm thinking, okay, let's do it with all the strings, not just like three string players, but like the entire section. And uh, let's have them, you know, gradually, desk by desk, uh, f- fade away. You oh, know? That's actually really cool. So visually, you, you, you see this weird motion, and then visually they, they um, you know, desk by desk, they, they get out of the texture. And then as each desk gets out of the texture, the same players that got out of the texture, they add like a harmonic or something so you get like so eventually they all don't do the breathing motion but they're all playing this big chord well that sounds like a kind of very yeah. clear gesture though you're like it's really easy to, i feel to 
explain it to everyone. Yeah, it's one idea. Yeah,、right? it's one idea. Yeah, but in so, the score, it looks. I mean, in the score, it's just it's so many stabs. But when you hear it, it's like, oh, it's like, it's not really that complicated. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the way that I think about things. Anyway, I want to move on to your next piece that we kind of we kind of alluded to this piece,、uh, the Hypercube Ensemble.、Mm-hmm. Uh, for electric guitar, percussion, tenor sax,、uh, piano, and electronics, which is a really funky ensemble, <laughs>、uh, which I also wrote for,、uh, minus electronics,、um, it's called、uh, "Spinning Touched," un—I can't even read my writing. Undreamt. Undreamt snow. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> This one caught my ear immediately because of the program note. Actually, because I, I was listening, to, I was I was reading, not listening to the program note, watching, the, not even watching, <laughs> reading the program note. I can't talk. And you mentioned th- this thing about Korean dramas, yes. And I'm not familiar at all at all、mm. with this,、uh, with this, you know, genre. So,、mm. how does that? How important, first of all, was that in writing the piece?、Uh, is it something that? Like with the nature idea, was that kind of similar to the nature idea? Like that's my idea, and everything comes、um, from that, or is it something else? Honestly, that piece, I think, the way I worked is the worst way I've ever worked on any pieces. Like I would never do it <laughs> again in my entire life. Like I did too much material, and I was like, I don't know what to do with it. Like I went above the threshold that I now I know. Like there's a threshold of like I'm just doing. Materials for nothing is is just spinning, and I'm doing the same thing, and I don't know what to do with it, which is kind of in the title, right? Spinning.、Um, yeah, I and then I was just trying to see, you know, being disappointed in some saying that people 
uh, not saying like, um, not view also, but you know, people suggest to you that in your life you're gonna do this and then you're gonna go there and just like, you should have a house, you should, you know, do this and that. And I felt like as a, a woman, I, I felt like I got lied to and it weirdly translated to me trying to see what it was the most like stable thing in my life. And I was just like, I think the only thing that stayed with me through all those years of changes, which are changes I was not expecting, is the K-dramas. Those are like the most stable things in my life. And still today, after You mean like consuming years. them? Like yeah. watching them? Yeah, watching them. Oh, really? I'm a okay. big fan, like not yeah. even joking. And that surprised me. I didn't know. I mean, it's like I read I it. I love like, K-dramas so <laughs> much. I don't know why I like them because they're kind of problematic a lot of time and not showing healthy relationships, but I just love them. Like I... I yeah. dig them so hard. Well, like yeah. reality shows, I mean, they're like the most the popular thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, that's problematic all the way it's through. But I watch it every night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's just something. It it was appealing to me since day one, and it's still today. Even though, like, I could tell you the script the minute I watched it, like first episode. I'm like, I know how it's gonna go on the 16th episode, and I'm not even surprised. But yet, I still watched it. So it kind. I feel like this piece is kind of taking different aspects of that, of like so many shows in my life through different changes of my life and trying to just have it in one space. But you can also listen to the piece without having that as a reference. Um, I feel it's very abstract also. It's not audibly clear when you listen to the piece. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I knew about that Korean drama thing until after I heard it. Cause I, mm. I actually heard, I heard this piece live, uh, uh, because my piece was also on the same show, so I I didn't I don't think I read I don't I'm not even sure if there was a program note I don't remember, actually, but I I didn't know about this until I was prepping for the show like listening to your pieces again I'm like wait this was about that I didn't think mm. that at all but I guess that helps a lot when you're writing the piece to it be does. thinking about those kind of things, and then the the jazz kind of references the jazz is that also have to do with the not that really. or is it something separate I I don't. I mean, I feel like it sounds like jazz influences, but I actually don't know a lot about jazz music, which is actually a running really? guy in my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I feel like I, since the minute I started going into music and doing classical music, people were expecting me to know everything about jazz, and it just frustrated me. So I just made sure to never really learn about it. But then in my family, like, it is really important. This is something like my dad has been listening to a lot. So like the sounds of it are really present. Also sound of like um, Senegalese and Guinea kind of music is really present also, which I feel kind of translate a bit in this piece, but I wouldn't be able to like pinpoint which jazz influence it really has. But it's all like sonically, I, I get it that it's kind of close to it, but at the same time, I'm not really in that genre familiar with it as much as people would expect it. Yeah, but it sounds like, I mean, if you heard it growing up, it's kind of in your system, it, whether yeah, you it know it or not. Yeah. I mean, some of the harmonies, like when you had har like act actual harmonies where it's like you can recognize them as a traditional harmony. I mean, they were jazz harmonies. I mean, they were like an open forts kind of thing. And yeah. you play it in isolation. It's like that's something I could hear in a Coltrane thing, mm. you know, or uh, some of these snare drum rolls in combination with a saxophone doing a certain like kind of free jazz sort of ascending run yeah i mean these are things that you hear so it's interesting to hear that these are not things that you explicitly thought about but they end up in the music anyway 
because I kind of have a similar relationship uh, with Arab music in a way because I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an expert at all. Like I don't know an instrument, like an Arab instrument. I didn't study with a master mm. or anything like this. I'm just very interested in the music, but I wouldn't say I'm like as deeply in line with with what some of these masters know. But just the in, just it being there in my background and in my growing up, it it makes its way into the music whether I am trying to do it or, n- or not. Yeah. So I think that I don't know when I hear the piece, that's what I that's what I get out of it. I hear strong jazz influence. And that being said, I'm not a, a, an expert in jazz either. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. also yeah. like there's all these like weird prisms that we're looking through where we're not sure about this, not sure about that, but uh, for for whatever reason, it has that affect. It does have, especially when you go in the middle of the piece and there's like this big kind of massive sound. It really, I mean, it also has to do with the instrumentation. Like hypercube chorded is really kind of jazzy when you think about it. So I think it doesn't help in a way to like be removed from it but yeah I it just it just is there I feel like and I also think with the electronic tracks it does bring something different though I feel like if it was only acoustic it would really go on that side more but with the modular synthesizer I feel like there's something rubbing against it that Mm -hmm. has like an extra tension in terms of like aesthetics and Mm -hmm. style for sure I mean, with your, uh, talking about aesthetic, with your aesthetic, there's so many things going on, right? There's so many different sounds that you use and you use electronics, you use live electronics. I mean, there's a lot going on. But then the way you notate it, I find it very, like for me, it's it's very far removed from what I do. And I just wonder, how did you start thinking, okay, this is kind of like the aesthetic I want to go down. How did you know that this is the way that I'm going to notate these things? Oh, the hybrid part of the score, you mean? Or? The way that the um, the score is kind of like this mix between traditional notation yeah. and this kind of, uh, I think, Illustrator. Is yeah, that it the is Illustrator. software you yeah. use? Yeah. yeah. So Adobe Illustrator, it's like a, basically kind of like a, it's not really like Photoshop. What is it exactly? It's like a designer program, but it's kind of like Photoshop. I think it's just more user-friendly because you can do things a bit easier than on Photoshop for sure. So this idea that you, instead of like, which, which software, notation software? So I use or? Finale, mm-hmm. and then after I generate the score, I just add the graphics on top of it. So, so. How, does that, so how does that work? It's like, how, like, how does that work? So like, if I'm doing a score in Finale and I have Illustrator, like, how do you... It's a <laughs> to nightmare me it's, to <laughs> to me, it's I like, do how not does it recommend work? people to do that because <laughs> okay. you have to make sure that your score is perfect. Because when you go into Illustrator, you can't edit the whole thing, which is the reason why for the ECMOS piece, I was like, I'm only doing a graphic score. I do not want to work the way I did with Hypercube piece. So I just, the way I do is I have everything on paper and then I just translate that on to the score and then I just add the graphics afterwards. And sometimes in some pages, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not sure this is something I really like, but do I want to remove one measure while I can just maybe try with the performers and be like, yeah, let's just cut this out and then have maybe another five hours of editing afterwards. You know, it's, wow. it's very time consuming. I think that week of writing that piece, it took me at least seven days. And the last day I didn't sleep. I did a whole night of just placing graphics and doing graphics. That doesn't sound that bad on the surface, <laughs> though. <laughs> but I'm sure it's it very was tedious. So long. Yeah, it was long really days. long to do. So you have to do, so like, so let me get this straight, just to summarize. You, you write it by hand first, basically. Yeah. 
And then once you know the piece, so the whole piece is done by hand first, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you put it into finale. And then you kind of have to like the bars that are need to be stretched out or a certain distance. You can you kind of eyeball it or. Yeah, I kind of do. And then you do the individual objects in Illustrator. Illustrator each pages I need to do. And do you bring the objects from Illustrator into finale? No, or I do just. Trend, uh, I took the I take the PDF and I add it in Illustrator. So okay, so I edit it in Illustrator and then after that I f- do the whole thing and then I have the score. Wow! So you import the finale yeah. PDF into Illustrator. You, exactly. And then the the score file comes from Illustrator. Exactly. That's real, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> but then you with the Ecmilis piece, you kind of learned your lesson in a way, and you did it all in Illustrator. I mean, this piece is also different. You don't need like be able to synchronize like i put mm-hmm. timing in it but like if they went over i i don't think it would have been a problem while yeah. the hypercube piece like there are cues so they kind of needed to know when to put the cues and right. like so it was just easier to do it the traditional way um but i don't know if i would do that again this way um for sure for another piece like that requires that i think i'll maybe make it a bit different and how how many times have you done this kind of way of working with like especially with illustrator i i mean using illustrator has been pretty recent i usually use only finale to do like the graphic part of it i just found it's easier to do lines in illustrator than in finale it's a nightmare to do like it's really not convenient but i've been doing that since forever i think that was like my saving thing to have graphics because when i was at the conservatory in montreal all of my colleagues were like really interested in algorithmic music and like spectral music. And I was like, I don't get it guys. Like it's really interesting. But like for me, when I go composing, I'm just like, this is actually really boring. Like if I have to map everything and do numbers, I'm just like, this is not doing anything for me. So I started like trying to do forms with like drawings. I was just like, oh, this makes more sense and do sounds with drawings and then translate those sounds into like traditional notation which is kind of what i still do yeah um so i've been doing that since forever actually so there's a lot i mean well it's interesting you say like a spectral music could be a visual could be just as visual too because yeah. you kind of do the analysis and all that kind of yeah, stuff but it's true. yeah you're right it's a lot more uh rhythmic involved mm. i suppose and i kind of am down that rabbit hole actually now too where i'm like having it like I have partials written out everywhere on my desk and uh, trying to uh, Mm -hmm. keep track of all the different intervals that I'm using. It is kind of, it does kind of get you out of the the creative headspace. But then if you get creative throughout it, I don't have a problem. It's just like, it felt for me when I was at that school that it was the only way to go. And also, I wasn't really familiar with like new music. So a lot of music that people were listening were kind of like in that style. So I was just like, what? I don't know what to do with that information. And then we finally had a class, I think, in my third year there. Yeah, third year where we, like, did a scope of, like, all new music. And I was like, oh, it's so much more diverse than what I expected sonically. Because we're still, like, kind of Xenakis, Boulay's kind of era with maybe Feldman a bit and, like, Grise. So that was, like, the interest of most people at the time. And I didn't know anything after that. So when I discovered that, I was like, oh, well, it actually sounds interesting. I can do something with it, you know? Yeah. And in a way, it kind of, there's that, there's always that weird thing of permission, too. I think it was something we talked about before, but it's weird that we need a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. like a little bit of that push, that it's okay to do something different than everybody around us. 
And now even at Columbia, especially not just Columbia, but New York in general, New York City, it's like, well, everyone is doing something kind of different than everybody else. Like, it's almost like too much freedom in a way that anything yeah. goes. Yeah. And um, that I kind of have a problem with, actually, where it, 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 it's to the point where I think where anything goes that like the actual critical listening kind of goes away because mm. it's like well everybody has their freedom to say what they want so why do i have to critically listen mm. and i and i have a feeling that that's where things are going and i just i just have a big problem with it it's it's part of the reason i don't really go to like concerts that much anymore because mm. it feels more like you know everyone's kind of just like seeing what everyone else is doing but not actually interested in the music so anyway i'm hoping with this show it's it does kind of the opposite you know you're you're really focused on one person it's music mm. and you're, you're listening critically even though it's not a long excerpt if they're interested they'll hear more of your music yeah that's true and they can really actually listen critically to what you're trying to say and, and map it to some of the things you talked about mm -hmm. so um yeah so i think that i think that what you're saying makes sense because i felt the same way you know at juilliard especially in my master's program where everyone was kind of writing the in, same in the same genre. like neoclassical neo-romantic kind of offshoot of vincent persichetti i feel like when kind you of thing. do that it gets more competitive between the people so it it was just weird for me that there was this sense of like only one person couldn't make it out because like if everyone is doing kind of the same thing like there's not going to be space for everyone right like yeah. well everyone is doing something different maybe there's a bit more space well absolutely yeah so yeah yeah absolutely and when weird, people go yeah. to you they know okay like you know she has a certain voice mm -hmm. and you know she's not gonna write the same exact thing every piece but they can kind of expect the your kind of attitude towards writing music mm -hmm. and not just that you're this race or that race or you're female or not, not female or whatever like it's your the attitude you have when you're writing your music yeah, absolutely. i think that's important yeah mm -hmm. so anyway Thanks for coming. Thank you. If for you want to hear Corey's music, I have it all down in the description below. And uh, please check it out. All right. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>